Again, welcome everyone. Um, today, um, as I mentioned, our topic is policy and new matters in advocating for PE and PEAT. For those of you that have joined us before, um, we um, intend this to be a really engaging conversation and we would love for people to contribute to the discussion um, throughout the day and um, we'll prompt you when that's appropriate to do that. Um, the Peak Collaborative would like to welcome um, two um, invited uh, moderators, um, Hans Vandermars from Arizona State University and Anne McPhail from the University of Limerick in Ireland. Um, the topic for this session has focused on the significance of policy, policy work and advocacy in the process of reimagining K through 12 physical education and physical education, teacher education. The conversa conversation is intended to challenge each of us to consider how we must embrace our differences and work collectively towards a future that repositions PE and PEAT policies and praxis to a place of value within our schools, communities, and universities. Um, we will have um, approximately um, 10 to 12 minutes um, for each of our speakers to kind of introduce their sort of position on this topic. Um, and in between those um, times, we'll have time for question and answer. We'll also be going off into breakout rooms um, at, uh, for a period of time today so that we can have the discussion in smaller groups um, to hopefully kind of form some interesting thoughts around the topic. Um, so with that, so I'm gonna throw it over to Emily um, uh, to introduce our first speaker. Great, thanks, Jamie. Well, I'm, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Hans Vandermars from Arizona State University. So Hans, while I'm introducing you here real briefly, you can go ahead and share your screen because I know you have just a few slides that you wanted to uh, share with our group. Um, Hans is professor at Arizona State University at, in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. Um, and he's gonna share with us today some uh, insights about the importance of developing and implementing strong state level physical education supported policies. Um, and I think he's gonna challenge each of us um, to think about the work that we're doing um, and how we're doing it and, and how significant it can be in our communities. Um, and as Jamie said, um, if you have questions, if you wanna engage in dialogue, we'll have the chat going on as a back channel and we'll have an opportunity uh, once uh, Hans finishes his remarks to have some live Q&A as well. So I'm gonna turn it over to you, Hans, for you to take on the show. Thanks oh, for joining us. Well, thanks Emily for a very kind introduction. Um, I, I did not start to share the screen yet because I was gonna just make some initial remarks first and I didn't want people to get distracted by my horrendous slides. So, um, well, uh, when when Jamie and, and Emily and the crew uh, approached uh, Anne and myself to uh, uh, to sort of lead this this discussion, um, it, it's sort of music to our ears because it's an area that I think that that we both think is is important. And <clears throat> Anne, as you know, is from from Ireland well originally scotland but uh, she spent some time in ireland for the last uh, few years and and so she is going to address advocacy and and before before we get into the, the meat of the matter uh, you, you need to understand that i think ann and i both agree that those two areas of policy development and advocacy go hand in hand 
And hopefully as the discussion unfolds further, um, you'll come to see that, that we don't all have to do the exact same uh, thing when it comes to advocacy or focus on the same area of advocacy and policy, uh, because we have a community that includes K-12 teachers, uh, primary and post-primary teachers in physical education. We have PEAT faculty, and then we also have um, uh, PEAT faculty who also um, are, are overseeing doctoral preparation of future professors in, in PEAT and sport pedagogy. And so uh, on top of that, we have our, our national associations and state associations that also have a, a big role to play when it comes to advocacy. And so um, I, I, I think it's become clear that um, as, as especially the developments in the last few months, the last year or so with COVID-19, uh, social unrest um, has, has come to the forefront yet again. It's nothing new. Um, that uh, life in physical education in the 21st century cannot stay as it has been for the last century. Um, I would argue that despite all the progress we've made with regard to um, building a sport pedagogy evidence base for what we do, um, the plethora of curriculum models, um, some of which now actually have evidence base, uh, that despite all these developments, um, that, that things haven't been, haven't been changing all that much. If you can walk into most physical education programs across the country, notwithstanding a number of, a number of folks who just do a wonderful effort in, in delivering quality physical education, on the whole, I think things are still in a state of marginalization. And so the question then becomes, in, in light of the fact that, that we've evolved as a, as a community with having evidence now produced through sport pedagogy research and physical activity research, despite the presence of, of various curriculum models uh, and, and more and more keep getting developed. I think a great example is, is the open curriculum, which is a curriculum that was developed by teachers themselves. Um, and and the, the question is, does that curriculum work? Does it have an impact? And of course, I, I would venture to guess that uh, the open curriculum hasn't been studied in any systematic uh, long-term way. So uh, do we need more curriculum models? I don't think so. I think there are some that I think we could, we could probably use and let teachers adapt for their own contexts. We don't need, um, uh, I, I think we need to come to grips with the fact that despite all those new curriculum models, the, the predominant model continues to be the multi-activity potpourri short unit uh, approach to delivering physical education where students may get um, four times 15 minutes on, on throwing and catching or, or dance and what have you. Uh, and it's hardly enough time for, for them to develop any kind of skill, competence, confidence, or, or you know, passion for dance, if you will. And so, um, and I don't think I speak just for the US, I think it's a global uh, condition that physical education continues to be marginalized. And the question becomes, why does it continue to be marginalized in the face of having all these, these different um, developments that we've been part of over the last 40 plus years? Um, and as I started to argue back in 2018 at Wyoming at the ICEP conference, and I, I did a little paper a few years ago in, in Quest, um, that 
um, we, 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 can, we can teach the hell out of sport ed or fitness for life or what have you. Um, but if you look at the conditions under which teachers have to teach um, in, 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 most, in most states in the US, um, is it any wonder that we're not able to accomplish much, okay? Uh, a few years ago uh, in, in, uh, in the Kyrene School District, which is a small district uh, in, in the Phoenix metro area, I, I got a phone call from, from a close colleague who, who used to teach there. She's now retired. She was all up in arms. Oh, Hans, the school board just decided that physical education decided that instead of having two times 30 minutes of physical education per week, it's only going to be one week, once a week for 45 minutes. And so that cuts 25 minutes out of the, the allocated time for physical education. And that's a district that has specialists, right? And so I met with them and, and we went through the whole exercise. Well, you can't squeeze 60 minutes into 45 minutes. And, but, but the condition deteriorated um, in, in, in a significant way. And so when you use that just as one example, it shows that the, the, the current conditions for physical education uh, teachers are such that um, little, if anything, can be accomplished, even under the best circumstances, meaning good quality teachers, having a sound curriculum. Um, you can't do much with, with um, one hour, even one hour of physical education per week in elementary schools, right? And so the, the key, I think, lies in, in the field, um, starting to pay attention to, to creating what, what Emily uh, referred to as strong state level policies that are supportive of physical education. And, and while, while developing strong policies is not, uh, as I've said before, is not the silver bullet, it's not the, the all encompassing solution, um, what it does do, what it should do is create what, we, what I would consider prerequisite conditions for teachers to do their work. And when I say do their work is that, you know, they, they're able to accomplish meaningful outcomes. And so, um, yes, uh, Shape America has for a number of years periodically tracked the sort of the policy profiles of states and it has recommendations for how many minutes um, uh, students should be getting physical education, but a recommendation is not a policy. Okay, so let, let's let's be clear on that. Um, am I going too fast folks? I mean, I mean just just making sure so. Alright, so I do want to I, I just want to use an example of, of what what the, the, the concept of asking for more time in, um, for physical education, what implications that has. And, and we'll, we'll just use it as a, as, a, as a springboard. And I can't seem to share the screen even though, oh, here we go, sorry, here we go. Um, share. And while Hans is getting that sorted out, because um, it might take him a little while because it's technology. Um, just kidding, Hans. You, um, excuse me. <laughs> um, don't forget that you can use the chat if you want to um, start engaging in some questions and things. And so um, please feel free to jump into the chat as presenters are presenting if things come to you. Um, and then we can always come back to them as well later in Q&A. Um, but don't be afraid to use the chat as well. So can everybody see this, this, uh, this elaborate template of uh, Arizona State University's uh, PowerPoint template? Yeah, okay. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, of course. So um, 
Shape America, as I said, uh, wants 150 minutes of physical education per week for all K-6 students, right? So let's look at a large district. And this is an exercise I did with a colleague of mine who is the director of the Mesa Public Schools. All right, so we have a large district in the Southwest. It's got 56 elementary schools, 80 elementary physical education teachers, some of whom are itinerants, those folks that have to travel between schools, right? And so let's look at the cost. We, we were talking about the cost of moving from what's, what has been for years and decades, I can say, two times 30 minutes, so that's 60 minutes, and moving to 150 minutes per week. What would it cost? Okay, so currently, or this was last year, set of benefits and salaries, the average benefit, uh, salary, which includes the benefits per teacher, is $65,800. Uh, $65, now, again, this is the average. This includes first-year teachers and those, those folks who have been teaching for 20-some-odd 20, 20 years. So the current annual cost to the, the Mesa Public School District hovers around $5,264,000. So how many additional teachers do you think we need? Well, we calculated it if you want to stick with um, uh, if you want to go move toward 150 minutes per week and have half hour classes, it requires 162 additional teachers. Okay, so that will bring the next, the, the new annual cost of 80 plus 162 teachers at that particular average to approximately almost, almost $16 million. Okay, so that's a lot of moolah, um, but there's more. Um, it, the total there is like 21,187,600, uh, annually. There's more. You also need more gyms. Gym, you need more gym space, okay? The cost for a single, um, uh, single uh, new gymnasium is approximately 200, uh, sorry, $2 million. So the total construction cost of just the gymnasiums is $112 million dollars. Now that's not a that's not a recurring cost like salaries and benefits, but it, it you know that's an outlay. And there's still more. You need another 56 or so additional outdoor teaching spaces. The schools average in size in Mesa approximately a thousand students. Okay. So that's another eighty thousand dollars per per school. That's another four point four four point four million dollars. So let me let me just uh, get out of the screen sh uh, uh, screen sharing mode. Um, the, the question is, what is what is the, the sanity behind asking for 150 million? Uh, sorry, 150 minutes of physical education per week, and and that's just one district. I was on the phone with Jane Greenberg, the, the former the former uh, director for Miami Dade County uh, Schools for Physical Education. And her district is even much bigger uh, than, than Mesa Public Schools. So you can only imagine what it would cost in the, in the entire country to move to 150 minutes of elementary, we're not even talking secondary schools, 150 minutes of physical education per week. There are many, many other aspects of policy or areas of policy that require attention. Okay, do we, do we count um, the grade in physical education uh, toward a GPA in high schools? Uh, how many credits are, are required in high schools? Um, can kids substitute other subjects like junior ROTC or, or, or um, sorry, marching band or, or athletics for, for physical education? 
um, think, think of all those different areas that impact what physical education teachers uh, deal with. Um, and without, without getting rid of, of substitutions, uh, we're gonna keep getting students whose parents are much more vocal about their kids' band practice than they are about their kids' physical education experience. We're gonna have, keep having those kids be able to not see the inside of a gym in high school ever. And so um, I think what we are dealing with is a, a, a level of policy neglect, uh, as I call it, in a chapter that's, that's being reviewed as we speak for a special issue, JTPE, that's forthcoming, uh, together with some other old white colleagues, males. Um, um, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit here, but um, so <clears throat> we're dealing with policy neglect. It wasn't always like that, by the way. In, in the first half of the 20th century, when physical education made its inroads into schools, there were, there were uh, essentially uh, monitors, state monitors, tooling around the, the states, checking up on what was going on in school districts and in schools for what, what was done in the name of physical education. In the 50s, those all pretty much disappeared, if not even earlier. And, and we haven't really paid attention to what's going on at the policy level. With some exceptions, for example, uh, Judy Rink back in the 90s with Murray Mitchell and, and, and colleagues in the state association, that's probably the, the shining example. Um, and some states have stronger policies uh, than others, but on the whole, as a nation, I think the failure to have strong supportive policies in place um, is, is probably the, the, the major concrete block that keeps us from rising above uh, sea level and, and being able to breathe and thrive. Um, and <clears throat> with the need for, for, uh, for creating policy at, at both the, the, the school level, um, the, the district level and the state level, um, we need advocacy and, and we, need, we need to create capacity to do adv advocacy type work. And as I mentioned on the outset, we don't all have to be you know, steaming over to the state house and the state senate every single month to, to attend meetings. So we, we can't do it all by ourselves. But uh, if everybody participates and becomes a player in this, in this activity, uh, we can start to make some inroads. Uh, but we, we fail to include policy content and knowledge about policy in the doctoral programs that became clear in the analysis that people did in 2010 and 2011. Um, it's, it's not really addressed uh, in any significant way in PEAT programs so future teachers continue to basically have a pretty narrow focus on what their job is about. Um, and why are we surprised that teachers in schools uh, pay little attention until their job is on the line to what's happening to their program? I'll stop there because I think I've gone over time already. Um, and I'll, I think we're opening it up for some questions. I haven't been able to keep track of the chats that are, that are going on because I can't multitask, sorry. Um, so open for business, open for questions. And I don't have all the answers, just so you know. Great, thanks Hans. Yeah, we wanna uh, make sure everyone knows that they can either continue to engage in the chat or if you have a question about something that Hans posed uh, or um, experience or rebuttal that you just wanna kind of share with the group, go ahead and uh, raise your hand and we can unmute you. Um, and um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and have this be a discussion. 
So I'll start just a, just kind of a little prompt here, Han. So um, I know it's bigger than um, what you described or what I'm, what I'm gonna share is a little bit smaller than what you described, but what happens when we, when we see high quality practices in these communities and in these schools, and yet um, we're, we're not, those high quality teaching experiences and learning experiences aren't supported and we still remain marginalized within those communities. Do you think that is a policy issue? Um, and um, I, I don't think I don't think that's so much a policy issue as as much as it is uh, some some salmon that are able to swim upstream for a while, uh, and then as you know you, you look at, at uh, way back in Dan Lordy's work you know the school as a workplace, and if teachers who are who come out <clears throat> energetic, passionate, skillful, um, they they teach the hell out of their program, do the best job possible, and and delivering a good quality program. But the system then wears them down, uh, I suspect, after a while. Uh, and, and then there are those that somehow in the face of everything continue to just battle away. I don't think that's a policy issue in, in and of itself. I think that the lack of, of supportive policies, the lack of those prerequisite conditions um, is, is part of the system that wears, that wears teachers down. So, um, so yes, I guess it is a policy issue from, from that perspective. So because we're working in a context that's not supporting, uh, that's not supporting uh, teachers in, in our subject. And, and by the way, it's the same for art, music, and social studies, and um, so, or similar, I should say. Yeah, thanks. Um, but Hans, in the chat, um, there um, was a question around the various roles that might be played, as in not in not everyone needs to go to the state house on a daily basis. So what might people do in support of policy work within those? Yeah. <clears throat> I noticed that's, that's one of my partners in crime, um, Murray Mitchell. Um, he is one of the, the folks that is working on this special issue um, in, in JTPE. So um, different roles for different folks. So uh, Physical education teachers could um, advocate for having better teaching schedules in their own school, uh, especially elementary uh, schools have schedules that oftentimes are not optimal for teaching physical education. And, and um, in fact, I was talking with somebody last week, I think it was, and uh, physical education teachers ought to band together with the art and music teachers and, and um, steam into the principal's office and and work toward having a schedule that works for all the specialty areas. Um, so that, that's sort of like advocacy at the very local level. Um, I think at the local level, sorry, at the district level, if you will, what, what Hal Lawson talks about are the small P's, the, the small policy areas, uh, school and district level. Um, what, what I think teachers who, who are able to get uh, in-service professional development time, um, on a monthly basis, they could develop a set of, of proactive advocacy presentations at the district level in which they convey what's going on in physical education, what's good about physical education, why it's important. Um, and, and, and so attend those meetings on a regular basis and not wait till the district uh, school board is, is looking at having to make uh, budget cuts. And, and of course, physical education, art, music teachers are on the chopping block right off the bat. If that's the only time that physical education teachers attend a school meeting, we're in deep doo-doo. Uh, and, and those, those, those uh, you know, when you attend that, that meeting, you're way too late. 
So what you want to do is be in the face of the school board, if you will, and the superintendent and, and educate them because part of advocacy is, is to simply educate them. Principals are not by definition anti-physical education. School board members are not by definition uh, anti-physical education. It's just that they just don't know and they need to be, they need to be educated. So that's at the local level. For, for Pete faculty, um, you, could, you could advocate for having, having um, uh, advocacy activities become part of the, what we, what at, our, at our place, at our shop, we call standards of academia, criteria for promotion and tenure. Um, no one seems to want to do much advocacy work in higher education because it's not rewarded. You know, you have to spend some time doing advocacy work um, at the campus level, at the state level. It's time consuming. It takes forever. Uh, it's hard work. It's slow. Uh, lots of uh, steps forward, followed by step, steps backwards. But if that work is, is part of how you're going to get rewarded for for tenure and promotion, then I think you're going to start to see some people be more willing to, um, to engage in, in what essentially is educating others. Uh, so that's one example. And, and, and of course, um, I'm, I'm privileged in the sense that I've been tenured for a little while. And, and so I don't have to worry too much about having 25 publications as is the norm these days, it seems, on an annual basis. Um, I mean, if I get another publication and you know that's it, great but it's not that important to me at this point so I can spend some more time going to the state legislature uh, and of course once I retire in a couple of years I'll have all the time in the world and stuff. No, I'm, I'm kidding um, and so um, Pete faculty can can engage at the campus level as well as the state level national associations and, and I know anyone who is the shape America board member <coughs> Jamie um, is probably going to kill me but I think spending, spending money on getting people to fly into Reston or, or DC every year to go and speak on the Hill with, you have a photo op with, with US senators and, and congressmen, I think is a total waste of time. Excuse me, sorry, but I, 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 that, <laughs> policy happens at the state level. It doesn't happen in DC. It doesn't mean that policies created in, in, in DC don't impact physical education, they do. In most cases, it's, it's negatively. Uh, ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, has potential to, to support physical education, but No Child Left Behind was devastating for physical education. Uh, and so the PEP grant is gone. You know, ESSA replaces some of that, but, um, but anyway, I'm not sure if that answered the question. Um, yeah. Hans, there's, oh, lots, oh. there's lots going on in the chat, and I think actually <laughs> Adam Keith has his hand up. So I'm going to ask him to jump in, and then um, we might come back to the chat. And then we're actually going to, I know there's a lot of questions around this topic. We're actually going to transition then to um, Anne McPhail, who's going to discuss some um, similar points and some different points. Um, and then we'll have more time to kind of flesh out what's happening in the chat as well. So um, Adam, if you want to jump in um, with your question, and then um, we'll see we'll see if Hans can respond to that. I think Mark kind of kind of hit on this is one of our biggest issues is trying to determine what is our platform? What are we asking for? Um, in South Carolina, uh, on our advocacy committee, we're working right now to come up with a network um, throughout the state of physical education teachers so we know what the asks are at the state level. On, at the, from a state perspective, in terms of ESSA funding, physical education requested exactly $0 from 
ESSA funds uh, yep. in Title IV. So the part of the problem is, A, we don't even know how to ask for the funds when we need it. And we don't well, know what to ask for. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the degree to which um, physical education teachers and, and I would dare to guess uh, Pete faculty are aware of the ins and outs of how to navigate ESSA funding. Um, if, if, if that's not clear to people, um, that, that makes it difficult for us to, to go after that money. Uh, my, my understanding is, is that the federal government doles money up out on an annual basis to states. And then states can dole that money to different districts and the districts dole that money out to people who ask for it. And so physical education teachers need to band together and, and the network that you're trying to, uh, to build Adam is, is a good one, but it's, it's all district level, right? And so the Columbia school district may have different needs compared to, I, I don't know, South Carolina topography, sorry. Yeah. Uh, then a district that's 30 miles up the road. And so, um, and so each district needs to put its plan together. And again, that includes uh, requests for funding from art, music, science, social studies, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so if, if physical education teachers do not uh, band together in the district, K through 12, and, and ask for, for their ask to be on the district's wish list, then nothing will happen. It, it doesn't go forward to the state. So that and that is a problem, and and that's where, for example, state conferences might be a, might be a way to start spreading the word about how to go after money for from from ESSA. And and again, that's just one way of doing that. Uh, state journals might have uh, people that are willing to to write um, an article in the state journal about how to go after ESSA money. I'm not sure if that answers your question, Adam, but. Yeah, um, Marty, did you want to jump in? I think you had your thumbs up earlier, so I'll unmute you if you'd like to jump in. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> there you go. I think it's the Zoom is the Zoom is a little slow today. Oh, we still can't hear you. Oh, now we can. Maybe. Go ahead. Thank you, Jamie. So I don't want to take too much time. I just wanted to echo a couple of things and reinforce what Hans is saying. I put some of the work in the chat, so. I sit in policy roles. I'm the policy chair for the Baltimore City Board of School Commissioners, which is our local school board. I sit as the policy chair for the Council of Urban Boards of Education, which is the national, it's a subdivision of the National School Boards Association. Um, I was just able at our local school board conference, we did an entire panel session on the importance of arts and physical education in addressing the whole child. So not to, to kind of counter this narrative on social workers and psychologists. Um, so it's true, all politics is local. Get to know your school board. They wanna know you, invite them to your campus. You can, as university faculty, you can go straight to the school board and say, we're doing this health fair, we're doing this, to bring them to your campus. School board members make fear-based decisions. They're scared that kids aren't gonna be able to read and they have no information that says anything other than if they can't read, they should read more. Mm -hmm. So we have to fill in those gaps and tell them that actually reading more is not going to help, but getting them the opportunity to be a whole child helps. Um, and to that, so I wholeheartedly agree on Advocacy Day. I've always thought it was a colossal challenge to a budget. Um, but one more thing that Hans said that I want to reinforce is he said you should jump into this full steam ahead. 
And that is STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, subscript two, which means science, technology, engineering, the arts, math, and movement. And if we can get the arts folks to adapt STEAM subscript two along with us, we'll have more leverage, more voices in understanding the need for advocacy for our programs. And lastly, as we start to cut programs, um, one policy that every district has is a federally mandated wellness policy that the FDA requires that you have if you have subsidized meals. In that, there's a physical education requirement. If your district decides to cut physical education, they're in violation of that policy that they have agreed with with the federal government. Remind your board members of that and they won't cut it. Okay, and then I'll back up. One of the, sorry, if I can jump in. One of the problems is, is that, uh, and, and Martha's comment triggered a thought is that, and I, I'm not saying that's what she did with her colleagues, but um, doing advocacy work is, is it's almost like waterboarding. It, it, it's continuous, it's, it, it doesn't stop. There's no off season, um, you, you can't let up. We, we passed a law for recess in, in Arizona a couple of years ago. It's, it's, the, it's the weakest possible recess policy you could ever ask for. Nobody was 100% happy with it, but you know what? All of a sudden, state legislators all of a sudden know, oh, there are people that are concerned about kids' physical activity and health and physical education. Um, all of a sudden, they, they start to recognize you. And then when you come back a, a year later to, to get funding for another project, now you don't have to start from scratch again. We're, we're at, le at least right now, we're on their radar. And, um, and so it, it's, it's, it's an ultra marathon. Uh, as opposed to a 100 meter or 60 meter sprint. Um, you know, we all felt great about the recess policy, but ugh, yeah, it was, it was a, a policy that was, well, I won't go into details. I got to give Anne time. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here, Hans, and I'm going to um, bring our second um, moderator in. Um, Anne, I'm sure has been um, quietly digesting all of um, what's been happening in the chat and what's been saying um, said out loud. So um, my pleasure to introduce Anne McPhail, who is joining us um, from the University of Limerick. Um, she ha has been at the department in the Department of Physical Education and Sports Sciences um, since uh, 2002, I believe, and um, has been uh, recently been involved in editing a book um, that she can talk a little bit about as well, which was sort of the impetus for us asking her to come on um, with this topic as well. And so, um, Anne, I will throw it over to you for your comments and thoughts. And um, folks, please still um, continue to engage um, in the chat. And we will um, come back to that at some point. Um, hi folks, um, thank you very much for the invite. <clears throat> I just adjust my camera so everyone can see I actually have a shirt on. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's background to that as well. Um, and again, like Hans, before I put up my three slides, um, just a few caveats. Uh, one, um, I've been asked to play nicely. Um, so um, I apologize for those who are expecting me uh, not to play nicely. Um, I'll play nicely initially and we'll see where we go from there. Um, I asked that the, the brackets of and you be put into the title because that's what I'd like to pick up on uh, in relation to our conversation around policy. Um, this isn't about policy itself, it's about you and policy. Um, so 
in my slides, I've actually changed the you to we because I do think we'd agree that, you know, what we can do collectively would outstrip anything we do individually. So I'm, I'm focusing on ourselves individually within um, a community. Um, I also think it's important, um, you know, to acknowledge that I am working in an education system um, that on the whole is operated at a national level. Um, you know, there's just under a population of 5 million in Ireland. Um, not that I'll provide you with examples necessarily from Ireland, but I do ask you to consider scale um, with respect to what I share with you. Um, and, and think about, is that at school level? Is it possible at district, county or state? What's feasible? What's a feasible place for you to start? So I would be a wee bit more cautious in the full steam ahead. Um, I think there's, there's quite a lot of critical considerations uh, in relation to how we first of all, you know, construct policy, think about policy before we actually take ourselves into that space. And we can't possibly do that in the time that we have um, tonight or today, sorry, for those that are in their day. Um, so I have three slides. Um, I'm going to start with where we're coming from, uh, then move to where do we reside? And then a, a third slide and where might we go and what, what can we do in that space? So what I look to do is I'll look to try and share um, um, okay, so I thought I'd start with, you know, I think where Jamie had invited me, you know, to, to be involved in that, and that was, um, you know, my involvement in editing a book um, that looked at trying to generate a, a scholarly forum where, um, you know, we actually would look to what are the desirable futures for physical education um, in helping young people, you know, lead an active uh, lifestyle. Um, and the premise behind the book was really that all stakeholders would be legitimised as contributors to the space. So you can see here that where we're coming from, um, I've highlighted in red, that there is a significant gap between recommended practices and what happens in the day-to-day -day realities um, of schools. And to address this, we need to stop working in isolation and work with and learn from each other. So that's where we're coming from. And I make an assumption that, that most of us are in, in that space to some, to some extent. Where do we reside? Actually, this changes on a daily basis, you know, for me, where do we reside? Um, and I suspect, and I again make the assumption that most of us on the, the call reside somewhere within um, a teacher education continuum. Um, and that might be part of our problem because the definition of a continuum is a series of similar stages in which each is almost the same as the ones next to it, but the last is very different from the first. So if we look at how we actually commonly look at the continuum, we can see that um, there is a difference in relation to um, the first and the last. The first deal with pre-service teachers and the last one on the screen deals with experienced teachers. But I would suggest there's less evidence in, this, in the similarity between the series of items. So they're usually very uh, compartmentalized or very siloed. And I think that's the problem with the continuum. We're siloed in relation to the three uh, systems and we don't have that messiness um, or that complexity in relation to the interaction between the three. So maybe then we might start to consider reconstituting teacher education as a multi-directional cycle. So to represent a continuing sequence of stages that can occur in any direction and therefore we shift the idea of teacher education to a collective and collaboration space. So, and it was only really in, in, in thinking of, of talking with you today that I, I actually beginning to think we're part of the problem or in relation to our infrastructures um, are part of the problem. 
So regardless of how we choose to envisage teacher education, um, we share elements of space with others who are also interested in ensuring that young people adopt health enhancing, physically active lifestyles. And on the slide here, I'll provide some examples of those um, from an Irish perspective. Um, and they're not dissimilar in relation to the agencies that you'll be dealing with yourself. We have subject associations, we have research centres, we have other higher education institutes, we have policy developers, we have professional development providers, and we have government departments. So if this is where we reside uh, in relation to whatever space or spaces um, that we identify with, where can we go or what might we do with these stakeholders? So policy and you, uh, or policy and us at the center of what we're looking at here. So how do we actually start to make some inroad into that actual space? And there are six things here um, that I've chosen, um, not to play nicely, but to maybe try and prompt us as we go in, if we do get an opportunity to, to discuss, um, you know, to think about what, where are you and how could you actually activate some of these directives in relation to you contributing to the policy space. And I think the starting point is a good starting point. We all have a great sense of purpose with respect to young people adapting health enhancing, physically active lifestyles. So we all have that agreed sense of purpose. That's our strength. I think the challenge and the challenge that, that Hans has alluded to is that this might not be accomplished without strong and supportive policy or policy directives. So we can have an agreed sense of purpose, but unless we have the policies that support that sense of purpose and enacting that sense, um, we perhaps aren't getting um, as far as we would like um, to go. The second thing is we need to value what we're doing. Um, so it's not going, this isn't asking us to do doing more, it's doing it differently. So think strategically around how you could move or expose what you currently do into a policy related space. Uh, and some of us are doing that, um, but it might take more thought in relation to how we strategically position ourselves into a policy rated space, looking at connecting with schools uh, that, that was mentioned previously, you know, writing blogs with teachers or professional development providers, um, offering our services, you know, to calls that are made um, at a regional or, or state level. Um, and there was a development in um, the Netherlands, actually, um, a couple of months ago where they actually had started to ask academics to comment on policy to ensure that the policies were evidence-based. Now, wouldn't that be a really nice place if we were being asked into that space um, within our own uh, discipline areas? Third, I think we need to acknowledge that this is more than policy. Policy is absolutely huge. We need to break it down. And that's why I would caution against this full steam ahead idea. We need to identify what elements of policy you're interested in and that you have a related skill set in. So there's policy work, there's policy change, there's policy enactment, there's policy enhancement, there's policy advocacy, there's policy actors. And there's a literature base around many of those. And indeed, some people um, who have written in those spaces um, are, are on the call uh, today. Another thing we need to do is to talk to others as well as each others. So we need to break out from our peer review academic circles. Uh, we rely on each other in talking with each other 
We need to work break outside of that. We need to start sharing what we share with each other to others, those stakeholders that I've alluded to earlier. So again, you know, and, it's, and I think we are garnering some um, interest in relation to social media uh, for writing for professional audiences, writing briefing documents, position statements, or policy statements. Uh, indeed, um, a PhD student going through a progression this week uh, with me um, in, in Limerick um, was advised by the panel member that they might like to finish their, their thesis with a policy statement. Um, and she was quite right that that is what would make the impact. That's what you know, stakeholders will be interested in picking up from the work. And I think that's really nice um, advice. Uh, capacity building, um, working with a stakeholder in the first instance who has a vested interest in improving physical education provision. So for example, you could start with a school university partnership or a professional learning community and then gain the interest, the momentum with that, that small group and then invite others to the party. So again, this caution against full steam ahead, you need to build up that, that momentum. And I think finally, um, is the capacity, and probably most importantly, and I'll, I'll finish on this point, is the capacity to learn with and from each other. So we need to educate others and allow them to educate us. Um, some of the, the most recent work I've done with, with, with colleagues outside of, of, of Pete um, have been the most rewarding um, that, that I have done um, in my career to date. So in relation to that, you need to find people that like yourself want to work towards the greater good. Uh, and I'll leave it there. Excellent. Um, thanks so much, Anne. Um, a, lot, a lot there to digest. I think there were some people that were um, unhappy to hear that you and Hans will be playing nice. So, um, but if folks have um, questions or comments um, based off of what Anne said, um, please indicate that you'd like to jump into the discussion. Um, one thing that I think about, and this is something that, you know, has been on my mind since we've been doing these collaboratives, but there seems to be more consensus than not whenever we have these collaboratives that we need to teach this more in PEAT or we need to, and, and that that's happened with several of the different topics that we've had. And so I guess um, from your standpoint, Anne, where is the space sort of in PEAT um, specifically thinking about developing the capacities of practicing teachers um, to be advocates within our profession so that it doesn't, you know, just fall on one group of individuals. Um, and I think that um, Tristan had brought up a question in the chat earlier around this notion of we keep coming around these conversations. And when we talked about social justice, it was the same thing. We need to make more space in our programs for social justice. We need to make more space in our programs for online modalities. We need to make more space in our program for advocacy. So how does this happen? How does this work? I think um, is my question. Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Hans and I had actually, um, when we connected earlier uh, this week, we'd spoken about how, you know, it, the trend in relation to peak programs having advocacy units or, or courses or modules where you know we do um, we try and upskill you know pre-service teachers in relation to a skill set that they have that will allow them to engage with parents with school districts etc um, but, but I think that that in a sense sometimes pushes the onus onto the I think we have to, the bottom line is we have to lead by example um, and I think you know if 
we are leading by example in relation to the work that we're doing within our district or, or state, um, that sends a message to, to the pre-service teachers. Um, you know, we are advocating um, in the same way we're asking them to advocate. Um, they can see you operating uh, at national level. They see you at the professional conferences. You're taking them to the professional conferences with you. You're taking them to school research projects. Um, and, and you, in a sense, are mentoring and leading by example. So um, I think to some extent, you know, having an advocacy module on, on a course or program is, it ticks a box. We need to do more than tick the box. Um, and I think the second thing is in relation to the PEAT space, um, I think, you know, through, through doctoral work or, or through, you know, further research work, um, looking at the way in which, um, you know, there is a, there's a greater good um, element to the research that, that young scholars are doing, that they actually are servicing um, these community and these policy spaces. So the example I gave about, you know, being asked perhaps to finish a thesis with a policy statement, um, perhaps thinking uh, more, again, cleverly or strategically about that. And that I that occurs to me that that could be something that journals could even be seeking, um, you know, with some of their um, standardized statements. I mean, I know the Journal of School Health requires you to include a statement on the implications for school health. Why couldn't more PEAT or physical education related journals do something similar? Yeah. And I would just say as well, you know, it's not necessarily the um, I've been to meetings that have taken a day, you know, you get a bus from Limerick to Dublin, you go to the meeting, you get the bus back down. And I, I've, I've had comments that, you know, well, that was a wasted day, um, you know, because um, somebody else spent their time in their office getting halfway through a paper for publication. So, you know, it's not always the, the, the sexy option in relation to, um, you know, what Hans was talking about in relation to, to scholarly, you know, promotional, you know, work or metrics that a lot of universities work with. And that's where we have to think cleverly about not compromising one or the other, but looking to embed ourselves within the space that will address what we need to, 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 to develop um, and get the kudos that we, we, we crave um, within the scholarly uh, community, but at the same time servicing um, you know, the common good. Hey, Anne, um, if I may, um, I, I'd like to ask a question on, and Laura Alfrey brought this up, as well. In, in the US, there's been not a ton of research on policy. Um, and Hans and I have talked about this a little bit, but you know, there there isn't research on policy like there is in Australia, New Zealand, like you have a PhD student right now who is talking about policy. And so where and you know, maybe maybe it's because that there are no senior professors that are you know, grooming students to do policy research. There, you know, maybe maybe one on this call here. Um, but, you know, overall, we do a lot of research in the U.S., just a, a broad brush here, right? We do a lot of research on motivation, attitude, um, moderate to vigorous physical activity, physical activity enhancement. So we have programs like CSPATH that are, that are being pushed, but policy isn't. So what recommendations do you have in building that capacity to start building this. You know, we don't have a lot of uh, policy success at the national level. We don't have a national curriculum like there are national curriculum in other countries that have stronger policies. So what is your kind of suggestion there and how to build that capacity in the US and how to start building a, 
other than, hey, just go out and do some research papers. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in for a sec? Just oh, no, 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 this is where no. we don't start to play nicely. Well, where are my tomatoes? Um, go ahead, Anne. I'll, no, I'll no, Hans, up. go on now. I'll, I'll, I'll follow the up. The rated people now that you've done it, on you go, go on. I'll, I'll try to stay awake. Ooh. <laughs> I couldn't resist, sorry, go I'm ahead. So much for the playing nice. Yeah, um, I, I think, I mean, I mean your, your, your point is, is well made, Risto, um, but when you actually look at the literature that, 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 that is being published in, in the policy space within our own field, a lot of it is about, uh, not about, sorry, a lot of it is, is, is the politics of policy or the power of policy, um, and less so about the practice um, of policy. So you might cut yourself some, some slack in relation to um, you know, the, the, the country comparison. Um, I mean, there's some beautiful work um, you know, from colleagues in relation to policy, and in fact, that their name would be synonymous with policy. But I think what's missing is the actual enactment of that or the experiences people have in actually trying to address policy. And I think that's where we could start. And that's what I'm trying to say about bring back the steam train. You know, look at something that, that's manageable. It's, it, it's really, it starts the ball rolling and start to look at that from a policy perspective, as opposed to this huge notion of policy and trying to address everything. So I think it takes a, a piece of breaking down what policy is and looking at what's feasible, where's a feasible place for you to start and to, you know, to chip away with that and to build that up. Um, and I think in a lot of, you know, our disciplinary across a lot of, um, you know, um, colleagues, um, I suppose, I think if you said um, Laura Alfrey um, she is on the call, um, you know, Laura and Justin, they're working policy actors, you know, with teachers, that's that's a really nice place to start because I don't doubt most of us are or are or should be keep playing nicely um, are in schools working with teachers you know um, so it's a case of not necessarily doing again more but doing what we do differently so it's it's, it's looking at a policy lens Risto. Thanks Hans do you want to also comment? <laughs> well Anne and I were speaking earlier this week uh, briefly is that uh, there's a matter of scale as well. Anne works in Ireland, which, how, again, how many people live in Ireland, Anne? Uh, a very select five million. Five million. So that, that's about what you see in Indiana. Um, and so you, you can, I, I don't want to compare Indiana to, to Ireland necessarily, but uh, I think when it comes to starting small, what, what Anne, I think, is, is rightfully advocating for, uh, is, is work within your state system, within your own state and, and collaborate and team up with, with colleagues in, in other peak programs just within your state. Um, and, and Risto, you had asked a question earlier on, on the chat box uh, or whatever that's called um, about why do we not do research in this area and why do we let health researchers do all that work for us? Well, for, for, first of all, for one, let's thank the health researchers that they're actually taking a peek at, at what's going on policy-wise and how policy seems to be influencing what goes on in our subject. But the, the reason we're, we're not doing that research is because there are so few, I, I will only speak for the US. I know that in other countries, there are other people who are in, engaged in, in doing policy research and, and whatnot. But we have such little capacity, uh, and if if new professors do not get introduced to the role and impact of policy in our field, uh, if they don't get the, the research skills, if they don't know the literature that underlies policy, 
Uh, and, and I'm by no means a policy expert. Anyone who comes away from this webinar thinking that I'm an expert is, is sorely you know, in a delusional state of mind. I'm not an expert by any means. And so, uh, but, but you know, dive into the literature and, and, and start looking at options at, at the local or state level. I think that's where you can make some small inroads. The, the recess example I used, it's just to get us on the radar. It's a small success story. Uh, and then build from there um, and, and get reinforced for success, obviously. So. I, I would come back in there. Um, not, no. I, I, do, I, I think the fact, I think you do have capacity. I, I think that's, uh, I, I, I don't doubt you have capacity. There are slight anomalies or nuances in the way in which you position policy um, from my perspective and others who, who are more um, experienced in the policy field might comment. Um, even, you know, the, the latest edition you were talking about, the JTPE, um, Hans, that you referred to, um, there tends to be, it, there's just, a con there's different concepts or different use of language. And you're, if you look at my understanding of a lot of the, the, the US literature, this notion of collective action, you know, collective action for learning, improvement, redesign, that, that's, that's policy. Um, it's maybe packaged differently. And it goes back to Risto's comment, you know, it's there. Um, it's, a, it's just the extent to which it's either mapped or um, exposed to align with other more common terminology. So, so the language is different. But, you know, America has huge capacity and you have in the past in relation to, well, you know yourselves, you know, the people that set that context up. Um, so I don't agree that the, the, the capacity isn't there. Well, maybe I wasn't clear in my, well, obviously I wasn't clear in my, in my statement. Um, you're, you're right, but, but the question becomes is, why can't we get Matt or Jose or Claudia or, or Risto um, to, to use that capacity to their advantage and to the advantage of the field? Um, it, it's, it's what we talked about a minute ago is what do we do with it? How do we go about the practice of doing advocacy and the practice of shaping policy? Um, and, and so, yeah. When, when we gotta get over the hump, basically. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a crude way of saying it. Well, we gotta get over the hump, get over the inertia of, of taking the time, carving out some time to, to become comfortable uh, working in, 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 in that part of our arena. So. Um. One question. <laughs> oh, well, we'll we'll let you respond to that, Anne. I can tell that you might have wanted to say something about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Rhonda, I think had a question, and then I think at some point coming back to um, Steve McGinley's question in the chat around this notion of multi-sectoral approach, and you know, how do we sort of get there? What relationships are effective, and why? And the collective piece. Um, but Rhonda, I'll. Um, ask you to unmute here and you can jump in if you wanted to ask your question. There we go. Thank you so much. Wonderful session, very informative from both of you. Um, when the session started today, Hans and, and Anne, you both have mentioned uh, like curriculum models. One of the elements that I enjoy being a teacher trainer is to talk with wonderful people like yourself when we use things like sport education, you know, common terminology. And I have found, because I work with quite a few uh, countries, especially in Europe, uh, that the policy, those folks seem to have models. And I've never been able to bring 
that idea back to my own faculty and talking about a policy model. So in the chat, I just said, if either of you had a, a very basic one, even if it was something not totally related to uh, some of our concerns, it would be enormously helpful because I think I need to, I need to do some serious reading about policy models because I know that's my limitation. So thank you for either responding. Anne? You're asking for policy you're, you're... models? Jesus, that would be another, that'd be another webinar altogether. I, yeah. I mean, I can forward you, I can forward you on, you know, people within the, our discipline or outside of our, I mean, there's multiple, uh, and that's what I'm saying, there's multiple places to go with policy. Um, so I can send you, I mean, you know, the work of, of Stephen Ball would be the first place I would have you start, but that's huge. I actually think that's bad advice. What I would have you do is read literature that looks at policy within our own area and work up from that, because then you'll get an idea of how it's enacted or how people go around doing it and then build up from that in relation to the framework of policy models. I'll ask um, Claudia to unmute herself. Um, she had a question. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's not actually a question. Is, um, is that one example that happened here in San Francisco? And um, there was a policy, um, there was actually lots of policies created by the San Francisco Unified School District Director. And uh, she completely changed the scenario of the physical education elementary schools in San Francisco. Consequently, and she increased the, the job by 300% for physical education teachers in the city. But, and uh, we joined her in 2005 when uh, the city had a uh, program called Shape Up. And we create inside of, inside of Shape Up, we create the physical education advocates. And we had representatives from several um, places um, like YMCA, after school programs and public schools, private schools. We are all sitting around this table and thinking about um, how we, we revert money from bills to physical education. And from this initiative, we got <clears throat> physical education elementary schools guarantee until 2040 with the jobs for a specialist inside of the school site. And we increased the number of um, physical education teachers in middle schools. And we guarantee also that the high schools uh, teachers were retiring, they would be uh, replaced immediately. But it was an effort of the University of San Francisco State, UCSF, that was the um, in uh, Berkeley, the public health department at that time, UCSF public health department, the, um, the uh, I think it was the mayor of San Francisco and the public health department of San Francisco it was a joint program. It's like everybody, but the lead of this project was Michelle Zapata, who is still the director of the physical education um, department in the San Francisco Unified School District. That kind of speaks to that multi-sector collaboration. That right. The question what, what, about uh, what Steve McGinley was asking about. Yeah. Right. Thanks for sharing, Claudia. Do either of you want to comment on that notion? 
No, well, what what I can say is that that as as Jamie rightfully know that this ties into Steve McGinley's question earlier uh, at about two thirty five. Um, as as I note in the in the paper uh, that's being reviewed, is we have to learn to play with others. Um, we 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 seem to have a culture uh, within our field that you know only we can do what we're doing, and um, we have to come to grips with the fact that we're not the only profession, if you will, that looks to promote uh, the health and well-being of kids. Sport, sport, uh, uh, the fitness area, the dance area, recreation programs, uh, as, as Claudia mentioned a minute ago, there are all these other agencies and groups that have similar interests. And, and, and once you start recognizing that, I think you become in a, you, be, you get into a much stronger position to, to create the, the sort of conditions for what Claudia uh, mentioned, what was accomplished in San Francisco. And so it's being able to play with others. And, you know, we're, we're not the ones, we're not the only ones who know what we're talking about. And so. Other comments, um, Anne or Hans, um, there has been some great, great engagement in the chat. So I really look forward to Risto's blog. Um, that's going to summarize the chat. Um, so, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, the notion, Risto mentioned this, this idea of that we often make the mistake of saying, well, we can't compare Ireland to the US and these types of things, because I think at the base of it, there's a common thread throughout. Um, and so I think that that's something that's important to, to mention. So um, is there any other questions or comments? Anne, go ahead. Yeah, I would go back to, you know, I mean, um, Bristol's comment and, and just what you've, you've um, paraphrased there, you know, and I stand by you know, that the, there's a certain level of leadership that's needed, you know, and it's still back to this, you know, practice what you preach, you know, if you want the, to see this in a reality. And I don't know, again, if she's on the call, um, but, um, you know, uh, Jenna LaRusso um, from Western University, um, her PhD um, is an exceptional read uh, around the area of leadership as disciplinary stewardship. And that would give you an insight in relation to, you know, so-called experts, um, you know, in our related uh, space in our community and how they go around, you know, leading or, or advocating um, for the subject. So I think it would be a, it's a very timely read um, and a, a fascinating read for people to get an idea of perhaps, you know, who you're dealing with in that space in relation to, to leaders or experts? What are their thoughts around this? So the one thing that I would maybe just ask if each of you could sort of in a concise, you know, 60 to 90 seconds, um, kind of your charge. I mean, we never intend these sessions to be an all encompassing, let's solve the problem, but really a place for us to start the conversation. And so if, e if each of you could think of sort of what your challenge to us as PEAT faculty, PEAT professionals might be within this space, um, and then um, we'll close for today after, after those comments. So whoever would like to go first. So um, the challenge for, for the US crowd on this call, I, I would see as, um, uh, what what uh, has been mentioned a few times now throughout the session is to to delve into the, the literature 
uh, and to start thinking about literature specific to policy. Um, there's, there's so much out there. Uh, I'm, I'm only on step one out of 1200 steps as far as getting to know the literature um, myself. But, but in addition to diving into the literature, um, just start thinking in terms of what you can do in your context, meaning your physical education, teacher education program, what are the connections uh, within your state uh, to just start paying attention to, to what's going on. Um, it, it just, a policy in, in the US, the, the more I talk to people and colleagues across the country, to, I mean, look, look at the programs that shape America. Uh, how, how much of the, the, the convention content has been devoted to policy development, advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, very little. Um, somebody could do an analysis on that and get a publication out of it, actually. Um, but uh, start paying attention uh, uh, to, to what's going on around us. And so that would be my suggestion, just to get started. Work at the state level. And how about you? Probably not dissimilar, you know, in the, the third slide, I think the more than policy uh, piece for me that, you know, you, you need to break down policy and find a starting point for you, whether it's enactment, advocacy, um, you know, briefing documents, you need to find something that interests you and that you have a skill set that you can contribute to and then seek out, you know, others uh, and start what, start small, uh, gain momentum from that um, and, and log that as you go, you know, um, that's a story in itself, you know, we don't have to wait for the end point for the actual, the policy enactment, there's a story to be told in relation to how you go about this um, and that might address, you know, perhaps some of Aristotle's comment in relation, you know, about getting the exposure from a US perspective on that. Well, thank you um, so much to both um, Hans and Anne for joining us and for lending their perspective um, to this topic that we could probably have an entire year of peak collaborative um, series on um, because it's so big. And so um, as both of our speakers said, you know, a, a great place to, to start um, and I want to remind everyone of the next PEAT Collaborative, which is going to be December 10th, um, 2020 at 4 p.m. Eastern. We will be using the same Zoom link. Um, so feel free to share with um, doc students, interested practitioners. You know, we'd love to have um, more folks, more voices um, on lending themselves to the conversation. Um, if you were only able to join us for part, um, this will be put into a podcast um, on uh, Risto's Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education podcast um, in the coming days. And so again, just thank you to everyone for joining and for taking the time out of your day. It's always really exciting for me and our, um, the group, um, the organizing group, to see so many people coming together um, in this space. And so um, we're very appreciative for your time and um, thank you all so much. <laughs>